0: I hope you enjoyed the previous two episodes of this four-episode series with Yara. In this episode, we will be talking about religion and poetry and philosophy. Religion, poetry, and philosophy are incredibly similar, but they are also very different. Some use other mediums to explain or counter-argue another's main idea, but sometimes they work together harmoniously to produce a work of art or thought that is jaw-dropping. Yeah. And then I know this is a small side tangent, but I'm just wondering, does philosophy often confront religion in a way that it is conflicting? Because I know philosophy gives like, what is the relationship between the two that's often seen?
1: Yeah, that's a very fascinating question. I don't think there's a simple answer to that. Um, You're right that both philosophy and religion are in the same space. They're trying to, in some sense, answer the same question and because they're doing that particular religions and particular philosophies can come into conflict but so too you know religions can come into conflict with other religions and philosophies can come into contact you know um sorry into conflict with other philosophies so i don't think there's like a necessary conflict between philosophy and religion Um, and even the like existentialist philosophers that I've just spoken about who were definitely not religious. um, In fact, both of them were kind of virulently anti-religious in ways that I'm not. um, The traditions that they uh, were in this existentialist tradition, there are many, for example, Christian existentialists. That's a huge tradition. Um, So I, I don't, Yeah, I I, I see philosophy and religion as kind of ways of trying to come to terms with, you know, the world and your place in it.
0: Yeah, I talked with a friend once, um, and he was, like, feeling, like, very bad, uh, partly because of a lot of things that happened. But he, I asked him about, like, how he was feeling. He said he talked about how he believed in this thing above him and it wasn't really like god but more so someone that was helping him in some way or another and that was just like making sure things were okay and i think in like those moments where you really need something to ground yourself in reality it's very easy to pick upon something that is a lot higher than you i guess in a sen- in a sense and that the events that happen or the things that will happen are not determined because they're random, but determined because there is a reason. And I think like with all of these questions and with almost any question, a lot of people want to see a reason or want to see an answer. And I think for religion, having God sometimes helps give you a reason to why things are happening. You know, like a lot of people who I've talked to um, in my Christian, uh, well, I'm not Christian myself, but back then in my Christian church was they would say that if something happened, there was a reason for it. Mm. And with philosophy, I feel like it's also kind of the same where you're not really, but it's not so, so as you're digging for a reason, it's kind of like you're digging in this question to, to understand more so about the question itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so we might understand reason in two different ways. The way of thinking of religion, of kind of like faith in a higher purpose that you just outlined, that's looking for a justifying reason, a reason why things are as they are, which makes it right, makes it good. But we might also understand reason in the sense of like the cause, why are things the way they are, without that kind of justifying the way things are. Does that distinction make sense between like a justifying reason and like a reason why things occurred? So, for example, if you say uh, why is the why is the ground wet? Well, the reason is because it's raining, or because it's been raining. That's different from why is the ground wet? Oh, it's because um, you know, like God made it that way, or um, why is the ground wet? Because the plants need it to grow.
0: Yeah, I can see that small distinction. Yeah.
1: So. I think both that's, so that kind of like impulse to look for a reason is common, I think, both to philosophy and to religion. Um, But then the kind of reason that you look for and the kind of understanding that it gives you or what it gives you, um, different religions and different philosophies will go different ways on that. The kind of philosophy that I try to practice Looks less for a justifying reason because, as you said earlier, it, it seeks to kind of like understand it begins from suffering, it begins, to, it begins from that idea that, well, things aren't as they should be. So, if you justify, if you provide a justifying reason, then you, in a sense, are kind of like ignoring that things aren't as they should be. You're saying instead, well, there's a reason why things are as they are, things are as they should be. You're kind of avoiding that initial impulse of suffering that led you to that question.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, that's very, that took me like a tiny bit to process, but that definitely makes more sense to why we would like do that and why it would help us with avoiding that small bit of suffering in the beginning. Mm. So thinking about like, so even having that thought in the beginning is kind of removed when you have the idea that everything is justified in a sense
1: yeah and this is a long philosophical and religious tradition um called the optimist tradition which is that things are as they are because it's the best of all possible worlds you try to to justify existence with all its evils all its badnesses because um you know it's god's plan and god is perfect that's a very long and very honorable tradition in the west and also um, in other traditions as well But the tradition, the way of thinking that I'm more in uh, is the tradition which doesn't seek to say, well, this is the best of all possible worlds. It seeks to to like see the world as it is and to try and make things better.
0: I see. Okay, great. Um, So without like further ado, I'll just get to some of these last questions. So I'm not taking too much of your time. One thing I have been very interested in is why is like poetry and philosophy so interconnected? I remember in one of my philosophy classes, uh, we had to read this poem and it was written by a philosopher. And I feel like in this sense, there is a lot of poetry that is philosophical and also vice versa.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is a huge question in philosophy. The relationship between philosophy and poetry. Um, I agree with you that both poetry and philosophy are kind of responding to the same impulse, the same kind of like motivation, which is to express something about the world and our place in it, to try to understand that, whether it's in verse form or whether it's in philosophical prose. Um, and to that extent, they can be very supportive um, and, and like they're closely related to each other. There is a different view, which is that philosophy and poetry are opposed to each other because philosophy is about reason, about kind of, you know, understanding in a particular rational way, like um, the truths about the world. And poetry, since it plays with our emotions, since it is a matter of like aesthetics and beauty and the shape of words and the sound of words, just distracts us from that. It points us down the wrong path. Um, So this idea is, uh, like, in a way, best exemplified in uh, this one dialogue by the Greek philosopher Plato called The Republic. And at the end of The Republic, well, The Republic is a, a dialogue where Plato kind of describes the ideal society. And in The Ideal Society, at least one way of understanding it, Plato exiles the poets from the society. He says they're too dangerous. We can't let the poets... Into the ideal society. They're, they're, they're too irrational. They play on people's emotions. And there's kind of, in a sense, good reason for that. Think about the ways in which emotions are used in politics today to rile people up. You know, emotions are central to like um, right wing populism, to blaming, say, immigrants and people of color for social problems. So anger and hatred and these emotions are essential to a kind of destructive form of politics. And Plato was really worried about that. So there are these two kind of, I guess, opposing views about the relationship between philosophy and poetry. One that says, oh, they're both trying to do the same thing, that is give expression to deep human, you know, desires and understanding. And then the other saying, well, no, philosophy uh, poetry is dangerous. It plays with the emotions and philosophy needs to be the rational voice to control the emotions.
0: Yeah. And then I know like with these opposing views and like everybody having a different um, perspective on certain topics. Do you think sometimes when you are studying philosophy or when you're just writing down that there is just like no sight of a coastline, if that makes sense? Mm, like, yeah. Like it just feels so much and there is nothing really that's there that you can see.
1: And this is, I mean, this is your question from earlier about losing yourself. Um, And I think that's right. And I think that's actually, as I said before, a really valuable part of philosophy that it teaches you this capacity to be uncomfortable, to not know what is right, to not know how to think. And that's a very humbling um, experience to have, but I think a really valuable experience, not to see the coastline, to be all at sea. Um, You know, so like I think sometimes people can think that they're too right too quickly. And part of what philosophy teaches you is that kind of humility, not to think that you're right too quickly, to be more comfortable with uncertainty. And, and and difference and disagreement
0: yeah that's actually a very i really like the way you describe it the humility i think that summed it up very very well and then for like the last question i guess this ties with what kind of you just said but what is something that you would sh- like to share with the audience about what you have learned And if it's just like one thing or if it's a couple of ideas, but something that you would really like everybody to know, or maybe something that you would like to correct, a stereotype or something like that.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's a very hard question. Um... I think I want to say something related to that last point about humility and and endlessness and being lost. And that is that one of the pleasures of philosophy and one thing that it teaches you is that some things don't have an end. Um, it's a process. It's an activity. And philosophy is one of those processes, one of those activities that doesn't have an end. No matter how much you learn, no matter how much, you know, like, I know a lot of stuff, like I know a lot of facts about different philosophers and what they think. And, you know, um, I know like a lot about the histories of of, um, philosophy and, and so on. and all that's super valuable, but it's not as if me knowing those things, those facts, those bits of information is what's important. What's more important is the ongoing process of grappling with these ideas of trying to figure out like what I think and why I think it. And insofar as philosophy teaches you that openness, that humility, that kind of like that there's a value in in something not having an end. I think that's a really important lesson.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's like something that I think everybody should know at some point in their lives, whether as like younger or older, because I think that's like an idea or like a concept that is hard to grapple with, but also makes you realize a lot more about like the beauty of like your mind and the beauty of many things is knowing that it's like, okay to be confused and it's okay. It's to not totally understand things, but at the same time, it's, it's great to have that feeling, you know, to better understand that openness.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, So some people say that the start of at least Western philosophy was with this guy called Socrates. Socrates was another ancient Greek philosopher. And, um, you know, someone asked the Delphic Oracle, who is the, the wisest man in Athens? And the Delphic Oracle said, Socrates. Someone told Socrates this. And Socrates was like, what do you mean I'm the wisest man in Athens? The only thing that I know is that I know nothing. And in a sense, that was the wisest thing that he could have said, because knowing that you know nothing, or put it, to put it another way, knowing that what's valuable is not the things that you know, but the process of inquiring about those things, the process of learning, the process of doing philosophy of thinking. That's that's the beauty of the human mind. That's the beauty of philosophy.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think like that can also be applied outside too. Yes. Um with just like nature in general, like going on a walk and seeing so many things that you don't really see or notice before or mm-hmm. finding find I don't know if this totally makes sense, but finding like nothingness in the things that you see daily or yeah. finding everything in nothing. Like yeah. if you see something if you go on a walk in the same trail every single day, it begins to feel like the same repetitive nothing really but if you truly like look into it there's so much more in that one trail that you can ever like notice or explain in your whole life
1: yeah and now you're talking poetry so poetry and philosophy are the same
0: yeah do do you hold do you think that's true that poetry and philosophy are you like thinking more so of the former or the latter
1: I mean, I don't think that they're the same. Um, I think that you just expressed a philosophical thought in poetic form. That yeah. Finding nothingness in in every day and everything in nothing. That is a poetic form, but it's a philosophical thought.
0: Yeah, I talked to um, a poet and she said the same thing, which was very interesting because she isn't a philosopher, but there's like those moments where some people who study something just have like the connection between two fields or without even like knowing the other field very well. And I think that's also a part of why I think poetry and philosophy are kind of similar is the expression of something that isn't really straightforward.
1: Yeah. I
0: think that's right. Mm, yeah. Um, Well, I I don't want to take too much of your day, and you can probably tell that you've definitely got me thinking, and I just have difficulty responding because I'm just so into, like, what we've just talked about, and I'm still thinking about it right now, about, like, the human agency, about the discrimination. I'm still processing it. Even after this talk, I think I will still be processing it and searching up more and maybe writing down some of my thoughts because I think right now what you got me is in, like, a state of Very deep thought and like I cannot thank you more for having this conversation with me because it means so much to finally be able to talk to someone about this thing that I haven't really talked with anyone about, you know, and I also think that having this conversation open up my mind and my eyes to different ways of looking at things that I take for granted, like human agency. I never really knew that existed. I never really knew that like society truly influences like that human agency. And there's just so much about this podcast that, or like this episode that I talked with you about, and I just cannot like, thank you more enough to have this talk with me. I learned so much and I think it definitely made me appreciate philosophy and all of that much more. So thank you.
1: It's been a real pleasure, Satan. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you very, very much. All right. All
1: right. Bye.